Good evening. It's great to have uh, so many of you back again tonight. We've also got visitors that are with us tonight. We're glad that you are here. Anytime that you join us, it's a blessing for us. Thank you for that great singing tonight. Mark, thank you for that. Very, very encouraging. Uh, we are in Matthew chapter 21 for this evening is going to be our study. I'm not going to be putting verses up on the screen, so grab uh, your Bible and open up to that. If you need one, there's one on the pew in front of you as well. Isaiah chapter 53 is a very interesting chapter that I think sort of sets the stage for what we're going to be looking at in Matthew chapter 21. Isaiah was a prophet who was going to be, that lived about 700 years before Jesus. Isaiah 53 is a chapter that's going to be where he is speaking. He is prophetically talking about Jesus and what was going to happen. Now, as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, you have a number of people that are excited about that. They're looking to accept him, but then there's also going to be a, people, a number of people that are against him. I've enjoyed walking through the book of Matthew and just sort of thinking, what would I say if I was going to give just a couple words on a chapter? You know, this morning I saw a time and again there in chapter 20 where Jesus talks about the first being last and last uh, being first. In this chapter, I see Jesus talking time and again, either by experience or by parables he's teaching about whether or not people would accept him or reject him. Isaiah 53 makes it very clear. 700 years before Jesus shows up, he says that, look, we esteemed him not. Uh, as he's going through this description of this person that was coming that they didn't know exactly who it was, as he goes through... Uh, I'm in Jeremiah, that's not going to help me. But uh, he says that he, uh, we esteemed him not. He was smitten, he was rejected by men. We thought that God was putting a curse on him because of what he had done that was wrong. But Jesus goes. He goes to the cross, he doesn't open his mouth, he doesn't try to, uh, doesn't try to defend himself. And the prophet Isaiah is going to tell us that ultimately he was sacrificed for us. Uh, the... The great challenge of the end of Jesus' life is he comes. He is the Son of God. He's come to bless everyone. He loves everyone, and we know that he is sinless, yet he's going to be moving into Jerusalem, and he's going to meet people who say, I want to kill him. People are going to make a choice in Matthew chapter 21 to either to uh, accept him or reject him. Of course, we knew that that was going to be God's plan. Ultimately, he was going to have to be sacrificed for our sins. But as we walk in, I want us to see about these two different groups of people in Matthew chapter 21. And then I want us to always stop and say, okay, yes, this is a bit of history that we can see about Jesus. But there's things that I need to ask myself as well. We know that Jesus is loved and is hated. And as we're getting to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, you're going to see that some people will stand up and give their life for Jesus. They're ready to fight a whole crowd of soldiers to defend Jesus. And then there's other people who will do anything to kill him. Jesus is loved and is hated. And that contrast, that division between two people, it couldn't be more polarized as those that are going to be so excited to accept him. And then there's going to be people that would do anything at all to kill him. And this zeal of people for Jesus and against Jesus is on full display as we look at Matthew chapter 21. So let's look at a few of them tonight and consider what lessons that we can learn. We see that he's entering into Jerusalem at the beginning of this chapter, it says they drew near to Jerusalem and he came to Bethpage to the Mount of Olives and Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. 
Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill which was spoken by the prophet saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Jesus is going to enter into Jerusalem and once again this is going to be to fulfill a prophecy and Matthew is pointing that out. If you look in the book of Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 that's what you just read there in verse 5 of Matthew chapter 21. It said that this person who was going to come in as a leader was going to, you would think of someone who was coming in as a Messiah, as a deliverer, that he would come in on that white horse, right? He's going to come in conquering but the prophet said that's not going to be the kind of leader he will be. He's coming in on a donkey. Shows humility. He's coming in on this ride that is not the way that everybody else is expected because just like we talked about this morning, some of his own followers are expecting him to come in and to lead, to drive out the Roman Empire, but instead he's going to come in and this is going to be fulfilling this prophecy about him. It says in verses 8 and 9 that most of the crowd, as he gets on this donkey and as he's riding in, they spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowd that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now for these individuals, they most likely knew what Zechariah had said. We think, well, Jesus was coming in as a humble leader, but I think there's also an aspect of this that those who knew what Zechariah had said, Jesus is coming in the way that the Christ, the Messiah would come in. So these people see Jesus and he's coming in and he's riding on this donkey and if they know this prophecy and they say, look, is this it? Is this the moment that the Messiah comes in? And a lot of people say, yeah, we accept it. That's exactly who he is. And they put their clothes on the ground and they're cutting down palm branches and they're laying it down where Jesus can come in and they are singing out and praise to Jesus in every way. If I could be a part of one thing in the life of Jesus, I think this is one of the neatest things that people were able to experience. Uh, once someone is gone, we look back and appreciate the times that we took a little bit of extra attention with them, don't we? If we lose someone, we think about conversations. Maybe the time that you went to really express how you care about somebody else. How you reach out to them. If you had an opportunity maybe to take care of them and how you cared for them, that's something that you take great comfort in. If you've gone and you've maybe written that letter to somebody or you've gone and shown somebody, I so appreciate who you are. I think of all the apostles that after Jesus is going to die and be risen, they look back on this day and said, I got to be there as the Son of God entered into Zion. I got to lift up his name and say, Hosanna to the highest. They got to come in and Jesus for the one time in his ministry as he's entering into Jerusalem gets his due, doesn't he? These people say he is who he says that he is and he has all these people accepting him and I know they look back and said, I'm so glad that I got to cry that out. Hallelujah is the idea of praising him. Hosanna is a word that we don't see used a lot of different times. You're going to see it in Psalm 118, uh, verse 25. And basically in that, in that translation or in that place, it just says, save us. Hosanna is not just the idea of I'm going to praise him. Hallelujah is going to be praise him. Hosanna is going to be the idea of save us. God, come down and have mercy on us and save us, and you are the source of our salvation. So as Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, those that accepted him were saying, oh, here is the one who is going to save us, save us in the highest. 
and they're able to exalt him and give him the praise that he deserves. Well, the excitement that the people had had to be a highlight of Jesus' ministry. And the praise that he gave, uh, they had to be so thankful that they were able to give him that event. And that's the cry from those who are accepting Jesus. But some are rejecting him at the exact same time. They see Jesus, and he's coming in on a donkey. And I know what Zechariah said, and I know what he's implying. And I don't like it. And as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, not only does he have some people that are accepting him, but he has a whole other group of people that as he's riding into town, they tried to get him last time, and they are dedicated to reject him and take his life this time. And they see Jesus coming in there because he is claiming to be the Messiah. So some of those individuals are not going to be ready. And for that, that's going to be a controversial event for them. They're even going to talk to Jesus and say, tell these people to quit it. Jesus says, if they don't cry out, the rocks would have to cry out. What is happening is what is being fulfilled by the prophecy. So he comes in and does that. And you see that these individuals that are accepting him, while they, their cries were altogether appropriate, their vision and their focus of what Jesus was going to do was off. And I think that's an interesting thing, that we can accept Jesus, but are we accepting of what he really wants for our lives? Sometimes our focus and what we want in accepting him may be different than what we're really uh, called to have. What did these people want? They wanted that political leader. Uh, they wanted a worldly ruler. They wanted deliverance from their government in this broken world in which they were living, and they wanted to get rid of that Roman occupation. But Jesus didn't come to do that. He came to be a spiritual leader. And his kingdom was going to be heavenly about what he would change within our lives and within our hearts. And his purpose was to deliver mankind from the control of Satan where we just give in to whatever we want. And he says, I want to deliver you from the consequences of those choices. So as Jesus is coming, their focus was off. And the, the failed view of Christ is really the reason I think that so many of them, as he rejects this idea of being their political leader, they reject him. Jesus is ultimately going to go alone to his trial. He's ultimately going to be by himself as he stands before them, and he's going to die alone. Why? A misunderstanding of who he is and what he's come to accomplish. So these individuals have missed it, and whenever we don't have a clear view of God and what he wants, sometimes that can cause us, whenever we try to relate to God on our terms, based on our wisdom or, or our objectives, many times the end of that approach is that we may be tempted to reject him as well and to move away from him. So even those who are accepting him need to grow. Now, if you move on down to verse 12 and 13 in Matthew chapter 21, you see that Jesus, you have the account of Jesus entering the temple. And he drove out all those who sold and bought in the temple, and he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. This is the second time as you read the different gospel accounts of Jesus where he's going to do this, and you have to understand the situation. Jesus comes in, and this is going to be the Passover feast. Well, thousands and thousands of people come to Jerusalem during this time. When they do, when you come to the Passover, you're going to sacrifice. You're going to make a sacrifice to God, a Passover lamb. If you can't do that, there would be other sacrifices that if you were too poor to do that, that you would offer. But all of these people, hundreds of thousands of people are coming into Jerusalem and the religious leaders have used it to make money. There's money changers. What's that about? Well, you, you have to come to Jerusalem. If you travel from a long distance, you're going to have to buy your sacrifice. 
So you brought money. Well, you can't use money from somewhere else. You're going to have to buy the money that you can use that is, you know, from Israel. So you come and you go to exchange your money with the money changer, and you give them 100 bucks, and they give you $80 worth of money for your sacrifice. And then you go over to the other people that are selling these pigeons or other sacrifices, and you say, hey, I need to buy my animal, but they've got a monopoly on it. While were the shepherds watching over flock over the you know in Bethlehem watching over their flocks at night because all around Jerusalem there's going to be all kinds of shepherds raising these animals because when everybody comes together in Jerusalem they've got to now buy their animals what do they do they elevate that price again what's Jesus doing he comes in and he can't take it he sees people using religion to make their money using it to try to get their own power and what does he do he comes in and he cleans house and what does he say? You, you know, this is supposed to be a place of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. He calls the leadership and the religious people of his day out on their hypocrisy. What does it do? It makes them want to kill him. But he comes in and he makes this decision and he, he calls out these individuals on what's going on. And we see why people would reject Jesus. Uh, he challenged their status quo. He called out their hypocrisy. But I want us to stop for a minute at that and think about ourselves we don't read of other people clearing out the temple chances are those apostles had come and that was a part of the system that they had been under for a long period of time there were good religious people that had walked through and said well that's the way that it is maybe I'm powerless to really make any change they had become accustomed to it they were used to it and we start to think about our acceptance our rejection of Christ, or whether or not we're fully following God in every aspect of our lives. And as I think about this, I think, what am I walking through in my daily life that I'm just kind of okay with that's not okay? If Jesus was going to come into my house and come into my life and come and look at my phone or come and look at my checkbook or come and look at the things that I'm doing, look at my calendar, look at where my energy's going, look at where my mind's going, what would he say? You know what? I would probably clean this out. I would probably make a change on this. You need to adjust some things. What would he call me out on that I've become comfortable with like those people in the temple? And Jesus would come in and say, look, that's not okay. You have to make a change. Jesus saw things as God saw them. And I think as we look at this, let's not just look at, well, those religious people back then and the things that they did were wrong. Let's always try to reflect back on ourselves and say, what would Jesus call out in my life? And I think all of us could be challenged by that thought tonight. All of us could leave and say, okay, let's, let's spend a little time reflecting on what's going on. Let's not be comfortable with things that Jesus would not be comfortable with. Well, as you look there in verses 23 through 27, his, the religious leaders are going to come up to him. And it says, the chief priests and the elders came up as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? They said, look, whenever you come in here, all these teachings that you're doing or the miracles that you're performing, the things that you're involved in, who, who gave you authority to go and try to clean up everything here? And they're asking about authority. Uh, as, they, as they ask him that question, he simply asks, answers them, verse 24, I'll ask you one question, you tell me the answer. Then I will tell you the things by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come, from heaven or from man? 
So they come and say, Why do you, who gave you the authority to say these things? He says, well, I'll give you a question. If you'll answer my question, then I'll answer your question. The baptism of John, where did that come from? What Jesus knows is he has them. The religious leaders of this day, they had their religion, and John was this prophet that came out, and he was out in the wilderness, and they were getting all kinds of followers to him, and they didn't really agree with what John was saying because John was saying, you have got to change. You repent in life. The ax is laid at the tree. God is about to chop this tree down if you won't change, and they didn't accept it. So if they say, well, it came from God, he's going to say, well, why didn't you listen? But if they say, well, it was from man, all the people around him considered John a prophet. He's already been killed. He's given his life for him. So they're like, well, we're going to make the people mad or we're going to be pointed out that we didn't accept it. So what do they do? They simply don't answer the question at all. And what do we see? As they're rejecting Jesus, they're unwilling uh, to accept him. The rejection came because they didn't want to accept a message from God. Whether it was from John the Baptist or whether it was from what Jesus was saying, they had decided they weren't accepting those message of God. And as I think about myself, let's all think tonight, what scripture could we read tonight that we're not allowing to touch our heart? What scripture is there that you know when we read that, we're moving over that and we're not going to accept it? Because these individuals, they simply said, well, I'm not going to answer the question because the message that came to them was one that they didn't want to deal with in their lives. What would it be for us? Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek his kingdom first and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Is it, are you loving your neighbor as yourself? Is it love your enemies? Forgive those who've done wrong against you? Is it trust in the Lord even when you don't understand? In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Are you accepting the messages that you have? Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Are we allowing it to touch our hearts? Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. So as we go through and reread our scriptures, and the reason that we want to get out our Bibles on a regular basis and read it is we're going to be confronted with things all of the time. And I've never read through this book where I didn't say, ooh, I'm not where I want to be at this point. Well, these individuals, Jesus comes and says, what about John the Baptist? And what he's really saying is, were you listening when God was speaking to you? And they're just like, "Uh, I'm not even going to give an answer. Never mind, you don't have to answer my question anymore. God's question to me, God's question to you is, are you listening to the messages that you have? Are you allowing every verse, even the ones that are tough, to transform your heart, to transform your mind? When we start to open up to every word of God, we are just opening a highway for what he can do with our lives. And we can be blessed in so many ways if we'll do it. But if we reject the words from God, what's happening? We're rejecting the word of God. Jesus Christ, the word that became flesh, is rejected when we won't accept him. Well, Jesus then moves us a couple parables to help us focus on this idea of acceptance and rejection. Look there in Matthew chapter 21, verse 28. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to his first and said, son, go work in the vineyard today. And he said, I will not. But afterwards, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the Father? And they said, the first. 
got two sons. He comes in and says, look, I need you to get to work. Once again, we see this idea of a vineyard. I need you to get to work within the kingdom. He says, I'm not doing it. But later on, he goes, you know what? I should have gone. So he goes in and does the work. The other one says, oh, sure, absolutely, I'll go. But as the father leaves, he doesn't go to the vineyard. And what do we see? We see acceptance and we see rejection. What do they know? The answer is easy. Well, which one listened? Well, it wasn't really the one who said something. It was the one who did something. That showed who accepted the Father and what he really wanted. And we see something about acceptance and rejection for us. Acceptance and rejection of Jesus in life is not measured by our intention. It's not measured by our declarations. It's going to be measured by our actions. So as we think of ourselves, which one am I? Am I the one that said, no, I'm not going to do it, but I'm going to come around and make the right decision? Am I the one that had, the, had every intention to do it? I even said I would do it, and now I'm not doing it. It's been said many times that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Intentions aren't what gets something done. It's ultimately what are we going to do. I believe it's also going to be full of people that have made all kinds of nice declarations. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus there on the Sermon on the Mount that we looked at, what did he say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. What happens? There's going to be a lot of people that are saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I made a declaration. I called you Lord, and I did this work and did that work. And he said, did you do the will of the Father? See, acceptance and rejection isn't about intention. It's not about declaration. It's about our actions. And as Jesus tells the story, which one did the will of the Father? the one who got into the kingdom and got to work. So Jesus has uh, pointed out this idea of what faith is about, what accepting him about. Faith isn't about just knowing things. It's about accepting things and taking actions based on those deeply held belief. And we see that in scripture time and again. James will point that out to us. Faith always leads to actions. And while our works can never save us, we can't earn that salvation. No faith is complete if you don't follow through with actions. Faith without works is dead. So what do we do? If we're going to accept him, we have to accept him in faith. But not just with saying something, faith that leads us to action. So the son was driven to action by the things that he knew would please his father. And as he talks to us, what does he want? He wants us to make sure that our lives are reflecting it as well. As we think about application to that, I want to encourage you two different ways with that. Number one, when it comes to evangelism, I want you to think about this parable. The first son, he says, hey, I want you to get in the vineyard. What does he say? I'm not doing it. And the one who said no eventually says yes. I want to encourage you as you try to talk to your friends, as you reach out to somebody else, don't be discouraged when they don't answer. Don't be discouraged when they don't come with you. Don't be discouraged when they say, oh, I'm not interested. Why? Jesus shows with acceptance and rejection, sometimes the first response is not the final response. So what do we do? We just worry about the invitation. We don't worry about the outcome of that. But what do we want to make sure we do? Say something. Let them know that they were invited because later on they may come around and say, you know what? You know who invited me? You know who encouraged me? You know who said something? And they're going to think of you if you put out the invitation. I would also encourage you as you think about this parable, think about yourself individually. 
Think about what you have done. Don't worry about your first answer to God's call. Worry about your answer today. Maybe you've been rejecting him for a long time. You know what you do? You accept him today. All that really matters is today. Where are you with him? God isn't hung up on your past. He can take care of our past, but we have to accept him today. And in our lives, let's not look and say, well, you know what? Way back when I accepted him and that's the end of it. No, are you still accepting him as much today? Is God's word changing you? Are you willing to make uh, a real assessment of life and say he is absolutely number one? My faith is not a declaration. It's not intention. It shows up in what I do. Again, Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to ask ourselves, am I accepting him or am I rejecting him? Jesus said to them, truly I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. What does Jesus say to them when it comes to accepting him and rejecting him? Jesus is looking for people who will hear those words and make the change. Tax collectors, they hate him. Those were godless people and the Jews couldn't stand the tax collectors. Obviously, prostitutions have been, prostitutes have been in a life that have been so separate from what God wanted. But what does Jesus say? Those are the folks that are going to be in the kingdom. Folks that have been involved in sexual sin, folks that have been involved in greed or rejecting God's will for their life, if they make the right choice and they come in faith to him, they're going to be there with him. And he calls them out and says, not only did you not accept what John said, but even when you saw it later on, when you saw how people's lives were being changed, those religious people still wouldn't accept uh, the actions of what John had done. They, they missed it the first time, but even when they saw what was being said was right, you wouldn't change your mind. There's all kinds of times where we're going to understand one thing and we're not going to figure it out. And later on, we'll come to a clearer understanding. What do we have to do? Once I come to this realization, I've got to change. They didn't accept the word. They saw the change that happened and they still were unwilling to accept Jesus. Well, Jesus then describes the religious leaders of the day to their faces. And this is the final parable that we see, or that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 21. He says, here another parable. <clears throat> there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard, and he put a fence around it, and dug a wine press in it, and built a tower, and leased it to tenants, and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Then the story of what's happening, a guy comes and he puts in his money, he puts in what he's earned, and he builds the vineyards, and he digs the wine press, and he puts a wall around it to protect it. He puts all of his money in it, and what's the idea? He has a vineyard. We've seen it before, haven't we? Our master has a vineyard, and he's looking for a result from it. He's looking to, for fruit that would come out of it. So he sends his servants to come and gather the fruit at the end of the season. They reject him. They reject him. They beat some of them up. Others they stone to death. They take their life. He sends even more. What happens again and again? They're rejecting. And what's Jesus doing? He's pointing to his audience that day. The Jews had rejected prophet after prophet after prophet. They were not listening. And Jesus, of course, knows their history and says, this is what's happening. But then finally, look at verse 37. Finally, 
he sent his son to them saying they will respect my son as I hear the story, this man has wealth. He has his possessions. He's expecting his result. That We have mistreated his servants. And the man says, well, surely they wouldn't touch my child. But what do they say? When the tenants saw their son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. They took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do? with those tenants. Jesus is telling a pretty rough parable, isn't he? He's telling a pretty rough picture and you see just how much they understood that. You could only imagine a man who has invested, who's put his money, who is expecting a return, whose servants have been mistreated and killed and now his own son has been murdered by these individuals. What in the world would the master do when he came back to people who had rejected his will to that extent? And look at what they say there at you, as you look at the very end of it, verse 41. They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him fruits in their season. They understand the consequences of rejection. They understand the consequences of murder and not listening. He says he's going to come and put them to death. Eventually he's going to give that vineyard to somebody else who will bring fruit in their season. Jesus then quotes from Psalm 118. Verses 22 and 23, the same one where we see Hosanna, the same phrase that you would have. Jesus said, have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders has rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. You back to, go back to Psalm 118 and you're going to see how the Lord comes and he is going to save individuals, but it's not according to people's plan. They were looking for the political leader. They were looking for this person who is going to drive out the Roman occupation. They weren't looking for a humble leader on a donkey who said, I will change your hearts and call you to a higher way of living. So what did they do? They looked at this stone and said, that's no good for the building. Get it out of here. And they're going to try to reject the stone. But God takes the exact same stone that they say it doesn't belong in my house. And he's going to take it and make it the chief cornerstone. Back then, if they were going to build a house to make sure that it was a good right angle, you came to the first place where you're going to set it. And that cornerstone would direct everywhere else of how that building was going to look. It was the first most important thing. It was why we have a lot of times capstones on the corner of the courthouse. We're going to sit there and that's still going back to that idea of the most important stone that is there is that cornerstone. What did the scripture say? The builders, the religious people said, we don't want that one. We're rejecting it. But you can't reject what God has sent. And eventually God is going to build his church upon the one who was rejected. We didn't esteem him. We saw him as rejected by God. They took his life because they didn't want him. But Jesus comes and quotes exactly what was going to happen. And then Jesus says in verse 43, Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables. They perceived he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. They hear the story, and it's not really veiled. The people there know he's talking about us. He's calling us out. 
on the fact that we are rejecting who he is. He's calling us the ones that were murderers. He's calling us the one that have judgment coming. He's calling me out on whether or not I've accepted him or not. And I would tell you tonight, he's doing the exact same thing. He's asking, are you accepting him or are you rejecting him? Is your life accepting him or is it rejecting him? Have you become complacent in your following of him? Do you hear his word and do you reject it? Do you come comfortable with things that you know that's not the way that he would want it and you've just decided to say, I'm just going to keep on walking the normal ways? He calls us out every day if we'll look to his word and he says, where are you in life? What can we take from Jesus' words? See, a lot of times we hear that and we're like, well, that's a pretty harsh story with some harsh judgment, but you know what? Those Jews deserve it. God is going to take it from them. They rejected Jesus. They killed him. It ought to be given to somebody else. Jesus is prophetically telling them as he comes into Jerusalem the last week of his life, I know exactly what's going on and what's going to happen and what you're going to do, but judgment will come and I'm doing this willfully because it is the plan of my father. But as we look at it, let's not look at Jesus talking to somebody else. Let's always look at it as he's asking us. Do you accept me or do you reject me? We're in one of two camps. There is no in-between. There is no third option. We've either accepted him and said in faith, I'm going to listen to your word and I'm going to change my life and I'm going to follow you. And as I become confronted from your word with things that are not right, I'm going to do the best I can to change. I'm going to lean on you. I'm not going to make some weak superficial declaration. I'm going to come in action and try to be the person that you have called me to be. Why? Because we have a master who has done centuries of work to place us where we are, to have his vineyard here as his church, and to say, am I getting a response? When you think of the history of Christianity, but as we think of even the history of this congregation, God has set us here. For decades, he has put work in, he has invested, he has given us an opportunity in this community, in this place. Individually, we have been given all of these things, and as a master is looking down at the Southgate Church of Christ, he has to be saying, are you bearing fruit? That's been our focus this year, being disciples that come and bear fruit for our Father. Why? Because that's what he expects. So it's easy to look at what he wants and say, look, what have we done? But the real challenge is for each one of us to ask that question. Am I following him with all of my heart? Have I accepted him? Have I obeyed him? Am I doing what he wants? This isn't our vineyard. It's not our church. It's his. And our master expects a return. And the return that we give to the master is expected, but it's only going to come when we fully accept his will for this church. And the same thing applies to our personal lives. So as we close tonight, I want to ask you, have you accepted him or are you rejecting him? If you've accepted him, continue on. Keep inviting others. Keep transforming your life, transforming your mind. Make a decision not to be comfortable, but let God's word continually change you. Keep looking to it for ways to improve, to bring the Lord even more fruit. But if you're here tonight and you're looking at your life and say, you know what, if I had to pick, I'm rejecting him. Most people do. The crowd is going to reject Jesus. 
Only individuals who look deep within themselves and decide, I want to do what God wants in my life, they're the only ones that accept him. Are you ready to do that tonight? If you are, we want to help you to do that. If that means we need to study, then we'll get together and study. If that means that you're ready and you know what God wants, come and confess Jesus. Repent of sin, be buried with him in the waters of baptism. Accept him, and he's going to bless your life in every way. If we can help you in any way, we invite you to come as we stand and as we sing.